Don't you love to get invited? Have you ever had one of those invitations or calls that you really got excited, like it's like a dream come true? I mean, most of us, if we're honest, we're all kind of dysfunctional and insecure. And I mean that because of this. Uh, Most of us, we just really want to be invited. We want to be invited to everything, even though half the stuff we don't really want to go to. We just like to be invited. And then we get the invitation, oh, I can't do this. This is too much. But then if we didn't get the invitation and we saw that all our friends and neighbors got it, we go, well, why didn't I get that? I, wanted, I didn't want to go to that, but I sure want to be invited. I'm mad because I'm not being invited to something I don't want to go to. We're all a little dysfunctional like that. But have you ever had something that you were really, really excited about? Have you ever gotten that call that you just couldn't wait for or maybe you didn't even know was coming that was so incredible, so exciting? Let me tell you mine. This is like my most vivid call. This is like the call that I, you know, you kind of dream, as, dream about when you're a child. Now, I grew up in Louisiana, but I grew up during the Aints era, okay? Aints, better known as the Saints, okay? And uh, people literally would put paper bags over their head to go to the games. Uh, they were like 1 in 15 and 0 oh in 12 back before the 16 uh, win season. So it really wasn't very inspiring. Uh, you know, my cousin talked about he left two tickets on his windshield for somebody to take, and when he came back, there were four more on his windshield, and so it was just a bad era. So I became a Dallas Cowboy fan. So living in Louisiana, I'm a Cowboys fan. So I grew up in Roger Staubach. He was my hero, and you know, Drew Pearson, Tony Dorsett, all those guys. So like, I was just tremendous, and so I moved over here to Dallas, go to seminary, and I thought, oh, this would be awesome. Maybe one day I'll get to go to that stadium. That's so incredible. And you know, now we got this other stadium, and they just tear the other one down, but nevertheless, that was so exciting. And then I started working at this church in, in the student ministry, in the youth ministry department. And um, I was often close to a guy named John Weber, who was the chaplain of the Cowboys and the Rangers. And he had some children and his son was in a Bible study group I was leading and got to know him real well. And so one day, you know, and I was always asking John about the Cowboys, what's going on here? What are they going to do? What's this guy like? I'm always asking these questions. I'm sure he got tired of it. But after about a year, one time, I remember him, I got a phone call from him. He goes, hey, Ron, this is John. We're going to have a fundraiser, and we're bringing back, I'm having a bunch of the former Dallas Cowboys to come and play, and they're going to play the city's fire and police department over in HEB. And uh, he said, why don't you come out? I'm, I'm a couple guys short. Why don't you come out and play with the Cowboys? I go, are you kidding me? Like, this is incredible. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, you've got to get, you want me to come play? Yeah, just come on out. It'll be great. And I go, yeah. And I'm so excited. I mean, I can't sleep that night. And this is like Monday and it's not, the game's not till Saturday and Tuesday I'm excited. And then Wednesday it hit me. Wait, I didn't play pro football. I didn't play college football. I wasn't even a good high school football player. This is going to be so embarrassing. Like, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. Those guys are going to get mad at me, and they're going to, what's this dude doing out here? And then all those people go, what's that guy out there? He doesn't belong out there. And I was just thinking, this is going to be, I can't, I, I call and said, John, uh, I, you know, like, I didn't play pro or college or, I, I wasn't that good. I, I wasn't that good. You don't want me. And he said, he laughed. He goes, Ron, it's fine. Just come on out. He said, I'll let you in on a couple plays. And if you still feel this way, you can be the water boy. Well, I'd watched that movie, and I knew I could do that. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I said, all right, well, this is exciting. So, so I get out there, and I'm all juiced up. And they, he had given me this cowboy jersey, 
And so I walk into HEB Stadium, uh, Pennington Field, and I'm coming in that day, and I'm wearing, and I'm, I promise you, I'm not thinking anything. And I get about up toward the front of the gate, and all these kids are there, and they all surround me. They go, Give us your autograph, give me your autograph. And I'm going, What? Give me your autograph. I go, No, oh, no, no, I don't play for the Cowboys. They just called me because they didn't have enough people. Come on, man, don't be that way. Give us your autograph. I go, You want me to write? Okay, so I'm signing programs, I'm signing stuff. They go, do you have a card? I go, you mean like my church business card? Is that what you want? So I'm signing cards. There's about 150 kids, and it's just me. The real cowboys went the other way into the field. So, you know, I'm sitting over here with my little jersey on that doesn't even fit, by the way, and I'm signing these autographs. And after about 50 or 60, I was going, no wonder these guys have a bad attitude. And I finally go, I said, I got, I got to go. I'll, I'll sign them at halftime. They, they never came back after that. But nevertheless, <laughs> so we get out there and we play and, and it was, it really was dream come true. They were the older guys. Now here's the real story. Um, there were only like three of them that could run anymore. Preston Pearson could run, Doug Donnelly and Michael Downs. The rest of them were big linemen that who could, couldn't really move anymore. Like Larry Cole, he could just kind of shuffle around. And these guys, you know, they'd been beat up so bad. And so I was just blowing right by them. Man, I felt like I am somebody. I can get past a 50-year-old NFL player who's way out of shape and has bad knees. And, you know, and, and so it was just like a dream come true. But you know why I got that call? Had nothing to do with my athletic ability. Had nothing to do with my status. The only reason I got because of my relationship with John Weber's son. And that's the picture of the gospel. We haven't earned it or deserved it, but yet there is an incredible call that's been issued to us to come. And the metaphor that's given to us is a great banquet, a great feast, which was the, this was the utopia of that culture in that day. This is about as high up the ladder as you go. This is about the most you could ever dream for. An event, a, a place where you could go and you could eat all that you want and have food that you would never have otherwise. And so this is a huge, big deal that we're going to see in this story as we look at the call. Now, here are the four points, and you can follow along as we go, but I want to give them to you in advance. The call, first of all, we see the invitation that is offered and that is issued. Number two, we see the response of those who receive the invitation. Number three, we see the local call as that invitation is expanded, and then a larger call to all who would come. So the invitation, the response, the local call, and the larger call. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 14, beginning with the 13th verse. Luke chapter 14, beginning with the 13th verse. And you'll see this very first verse we'll read. You'll see it again toward the end of the passage. It bookends this passage. And what's going on is Jesus has been invited to this this banquet, so to speak, not because of who he is, but they're trying to capture him. They're trying to see how he responds and see if they can catch him and discredit him in some manner. And this is the, the verse 13 is the very end of the other story where Jesus is speaking, but he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So most of the Jews, not all of them, but most of the Jews believed in this thing called the general resurrection and that the righteous Jews would be seated with the Messiah, and uh, this would be a glorious day, and so it was a great anticipation, and that's the way they had a concept. They would construct their understanding of what the afterlife, what heaven would God would be. It would be like a great banquet. Now, why is that? 
Well, because first of all, about 70 to 75% of the people in that day in Palestine were what we call subsistence. They lived in a subsistence manner. What does that mean? That means they got just enough to eat for that day. They would work enough so that they could feed their family for that day and then the next day. Every day was dependent upon the day before. They never had excess. They never had more. They always worked to just get enough, and sometimes they didn't have quite enough. And that's the way the majority of the people lived. So if you were invited to a banquet, that was amazing. That may not happen for a lot of people who were poor, or it maybe happens once in a lifetime maybe twice at most. You might get, there may be somebody in the village that you're distantly related to who's a village elder who, or is a wealthy man, and they might invite you to their son or daughter's wedding and, and participate in the feast. It was a huge invitation. And for you to go that, because you're just used to getting just enough vegetables or maybe just a little grain to sustain yourself, but now you're coming, there's all the vegetables you would want. There's all the bread that you would want. There's milk products there. There's, uh, there's white meat. And then there's all the wine that you would want. And then the big thing, there was beef. Beef. Most people, most peasants never had the opportunity to eat beef because it was so expensive and it was rare. Fish, fowl, uh, you could get that. But to eat beef, that was almost unheard of. And so this might be your one chance. And here's that picture being given. With that background, we continue here. And the Bible says... One of those reclined at the table heard him say, and the Bible says that he reclined at the table with him, heard these things, and he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, that was a common expression that the Jews would use amongst each other. Uh, it was kind of like a little blessing, and it was a toast, really, what it, is what it was. And it, in events of this nature uh, or of gatherings where you would eat, they would hold up a, the glass, and they would make this pronouncement. Someone would usually make this pronouncement. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then there was a proper response. Depending on who the host looked at or who the honored guest was, then that individual was supposed to reply in this manner. This, that individual would say this, O Lord, may we be counted in that group of men that sit with the, the men who have, are of renown of the day. O Lord, may we be among the righteous, counted worthy to sit with the men of renown that day. Now, uh, it's interesting. The first problem you might see with that is it was for the men. And it's interesting how Jesus continually deconstructs their religion, deconstructs uh, their extras that they've added. And Jesus doesn't say that at all. Jesus ignores that. He doesn't repeat that language because Jesus is recognizing, you know, if there's one requirement to come for Christ that you must have, it's a heart of humility. It's a heart of seeing your need. But yet this is a spirit of superiority. We continue here, and this is what God, we see as the master, is portrayed in this manner. So Jesus, after they've stated this, and instead of giving the common expression, Jesus replies in this manner. But, he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. So this is the way it worked. They didn't have internet back then. They didn't have a postal service. Uh, they would send their, if you were a wealthy man, you were having a party like that, you would send your servants out to let everyone know you would have a guest list and say, I want you to invite all these people and just put a check and then bring it back. 
So they would all be invited, and then they would say, yes, we want to come two weeks from today. And then when that day would arrive, they didn't have 5 p.m. put on there. They didn't have an actual invitation. They would come back and say, okay, now all the food is ready because they would go to great lengths to prepare. So let's say there's 150 or 200 people. You think about uh, how many calves and how many cows they might have to butcher in order for everyone to have meat, all the preparations. And remember, this is a day without refrigeration, without icebox, uh, without electricity. And so once the most expensive stuff is cooked and made, it has a very short shelf life. So he is literally, it's costing him great money, and he's going to great expense to take care of this. And it's based on How many people said yes, they could be there? Well, then on that day, they go back and the servant would go back to each one of those people and they would say, okay, it's ready, come now. Everything's set up, the food is all prepared and all ready. And for you to say no at that point was highly offensive. It would be one of the most offensive things you could do in the culture. Someone of greater means has gone to great expense and has provided for you and your family, and you've said that you're going to come, and now you're saying no. It would be the equivalent of being slapped in the face and discredited. And so that's exactly what is transpiring here. And the Bible says, um, and so, where are we? Okay, blesses everyone who eats bread. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a field and I must go see about it. Please excuse me. So he said yes, but now they go back and say, all right, it's ready to come. He goes, I I bought a field. I'm going to have to set this one out. Well, that's a really lame excuse, and I'll tell you why. Because you couldn't just, in in the Judean culture in the first century, you couldn't just buy a piece of land. Land had great meaning at that time. It was usually part of your family. It had to do with your livelihood. So it it was either you were under a severe stress or you were moving if you were typically selling that property. So what would happen if you were going to sell it to someone? You would go walk that land. There's no markers. Uh, There may be one or two small markers, but usually they were natural markers. They might be like, here's a rock here and the river here, and you would walk that property, you'd see the topography, you would see the whole landscape, then y'all would come back, and before the village elders, um, the agreement would be made, I buy this piece of land for so much, and this is kind of ratified by the elders, and so now you own it. So they've already had to go through that process, but now he's saying, you know what, I need to go check out my property. The next one, two oxen, or excuse me, five oxen. He said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go examine them. Same thing would happen with oxen. This was kind of the modern day truck or tractor. So when you bought them, you still, you went before the elders. I, I verify that I'm buying these and that they're in, uh, in good shape and I know it. And so that would be agreed upon. So you've already seen the oxen. You've already seen them in, at work and you're going, you know, I need to take care of my cows. I need to go take care of them. Even though this man had uh, produced a meal that might be the equivalent of your salary for a year. Now, I will say this. If you'll notice with these, these are not the people, these are not the peasants. These are not the people who are subsistence. This is the middle class and upper class. Why? Because they have land. You can see them by land. You can see them by oxen. Then the third one is this one. Another one said, I married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Now, we still use that excuse sometimes today, but that's not a really good one. Because they would have already had to have a wedding feast. It's a seven-day process. And so, so he, he's been married at least a week. And he's basically saying, you know, my wife and I, we're going to stay and watch a movie. That's basically what he's saying. I know I made a commitment. I know you went to great cost and great lengths. I know, I know this, but I'm just going to set this out and 
be with the wife tonight. Again, this is not a parable to say you should never say no. It is a parable when we make a commitment to fulfill it. And even a greater principle uh, is we see the messianic principle here as part of the kingdom of God. And another said, excuse me, verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets, to the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. Remember, that's how we started the story. And remember the blind, crippled, and lame? Many of them would have thought that day and age, hey, they're cursed by God. It's because of their sin. That's the reason they're in that position. So they were excluded socially simply by their physical status or how they might have naturally been born. And the servant said, sir, what you've been commanded has been done. And still there's room. Sir, we've gone out locally right here. And we went to the streets and we found those who didn't have a place. And we found those who could barely make ends meet. And those who didn't have enough to eat. And we found the blind and the lame. And some of them we had to carry. And we brought them here. And sir, there's still plenty of food. There's still more than enough. And so then what does he say? The Bible says, and the master said to them, I want you to go larger. Now, you've gone into the community. Now, I want you to go into a larger community. And the master said, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It's the Jewish concept of heaven. The master represents God. And those who've heard the gospel, those who've heard the word, those who grew up, so to speak, in church, but just don't have time because their blessings have gotten away. Their blessings are preventing them from worship. Their blessings are preventing them from commitments to God Almighty. There's a picture of the great banquet. And I think it's a good reminder to us that there's at least three types of people, three groups of people that are put into our life that we are to invite, that we're the servants inviting people into the kingdom. That's why we do pray, invest, invite. That's why we turn lights here. Matter of fact, one of our school teachers just told me, she said, I just turned two more red lights. Two of my students accepted Christ this week. That's bringing light into a dark world. By the way, that's public school too. Light into a dark world world. Not that it couldn't happen at a Christian school, but nevertheless, we will continue. So who? Well, believers. We invite believers to come. We know that in our area, over 1,200 people have moved here within a three-mile radius in the last 12 months. So there are people who are coming who've moved in this area. I talked to some people just last hour. We are to invite neighbors, people who live around us, people who work around us, people who are in our social groups. We invite them We invite them to the banquet of Christ and strangers. Strangers, what do you mean? Well, people that maybe look different than you. People that you don't know that well. People who maybe have a different ethnic background. People who maybe uh, you've not gotten to know very well. Maybe there's something else that prevents you from getting to know them. Or maybe you just haven't bothered to. And Jesus talks about going going where they are and inviting them. That's the point of this parable. We are to go and invite. Jesus has said, you know, I've made it known for those who've heard and for those who've who've had the chance to grow, but what about those who don't know? What about those who've never been invited? 
I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. We know that 50% of Americans say they would come, uh, particularly on Easter, if someone were to invite them, even a stranger. I, I, last week, I invited a couple of people. Uh, one of them, I didn't know their name. We started talking. We ended up talking 10 minutes. They go, where's your church now? Tell me all about this. You know, and it would have been the easiest thing in the world, and often I do, to just not take advantage of that opportunity because I, I didn't know them. But it's, it's, it's a business that I go to sometimes, and I've seen this person there several times. You know what? God gives us the opportunity to invite, to include, to respond to the great invitation that he's given. Uh, the question becomes, how much of God do we really want? How much do we really want him to make an impact? How much impact do we even want to see made? Well, let me read something in conclusion here to you. It's called $3 Worth of God. And it goes like this. A shop owner. Good morning. The shopper. Good morning. Is there anything I can help you with today? Well, yes. I see that you have a lot of large and small things, but I would like something very small, just a pinch of something. Do you, is that even possible? Do you sell anything, uh, just a small quantity? Well, I guess it depends on what it is. What is it exactly that you would like? Well, I would like to purchase $3 worth of God. Excuse me? Yes, $3 worth of God, please. Are you sure you only want $3 worth? Yes, $3 exactly, no more, no less. I just want enough that it's convenient. I certainly don't want so much God that it becomes overwhelming in my life or that I have to make changes in my life. No, $3 is just enough, God, but that'll be enough of him, but not so much that it might cause a problem or an inconvenience in my life. A problem for you? said the owner. said the shopper, I, I want enough God that I feel reassured in case of an emergency, that I have God in my back pocket so that God is here for me in important events like weddings or funerals or baptisms. That's, that's when I want him. I want God to be like an insurance policy. I, I, I want him to be like the comfort of a warm blanket or a cup of hot cocoa. But if an emergency strikes, I'll have just enough to get by. Have you considered buying a little bit larger dose of God? Do you have any idea how cumbersome that would be to have more than $3 of God in my life? I don't want enough for him to make me love people who make me angry or hurt me. I don't want to have to like the immigrants and the homeless. I certainly don't want to think about all those depressing things like global warming, human trafficking, children and hunger and slavery. No, that would mean I'd have to step outside myself. That would mean I would need to get involved. That would mean I couldn't buy and do all the things that I want to buy. Instead, I'd have to consider what I'm doing with God every time. Let's just do $3. It'll be fine for me. $3 worth of God? Listen, I don't want transformation. I just want ecstasy. I don't want to have to love someone of a different ethnic background or pick fruit with a migrant. I want safety and security, and I'm fine just the way that I am. I don't want to struggle, and I don't want to make any sacrifices. I just want $3 worth of God. And the owner said, very well, but I can promise you there will be no change from your purchase How much of God is he controlling in your life? How much of you is God controlling? How much of your life have you committed to God Almighty? 
God is giving us some incredible opportunities in the future. And every time that we've had a door that seems to be causing our ceiling in our church, God has always provided something else from Lantana Razor Elementary to Briar Hill Middle School to our first building to our West Point to here. And every time, here's what's happened. We go into a location and we run out of space with our children, which means then we run out of space with our adults and then we have to do something. And for the most part, we're usually behind in the sense that we get there too quick. We get there a little faster than we think. And that's what has happened in our children's department, again, and in our student ministry. But God, as we have been praying, just like he opened up in a tremendous door for us to be here, how he sovereignly in a one-hour time just happened to connect me with a guy who owned this property, even though he lived in Missouri, and he was just here on this property for an hour, through his sovereign providence, that's how we got this property. And not only that, God has now opened up another door for us, a door potentially at Parker Square that just at the right time, it's available, just at the right place that we need, and just at the right cost. And so it's a great opportunity that God has opened. And so that's what we're going to consider. And it's for our people here so that we have room for special needs children, which we don't have near enough space right now in the back. It's enough for our children it's enough for adults, it's enough for everyone. We would like to consider doing worship over there right in between two colleges. The the largest unreached group, age group and demographic in America today are those from, guess what, 19 to about 29. And even younger, really, about 19 to to 25. And we're going to be right in the middle of those two colleges, should we choose to proceed. We'll have all the room we need for special needs, and we can do all the adult classes that we want. We'll have a worship service there if this all works out. It's a great opportunity, and God's opened the door. We've got to decide what will we do with this opportunity. So I want to invite you to pray with me, and, and at the conclusion of the service, our elders and our committee is going to come up and give you more information. And if you're a part of this church, I would encourage you, please, to stay. If you're visiting from out of town, I understand if you need to go. But uh, maybe this morning you just need to answer this question. Do I even know Christ? Have I come to that place where I've put my hope and faith in him and I've transferred my trust to what Jesus has done? Maybe you need to follow in baptism. Maybe you need to begin to serve. People ask me all the time, what's one of the greatest needs in your church? Helping special need children is one of our greatest needs. And we have a vision to do that on a greater capacity, a greater scale, as God gives us the opportunity. But what will you do? How much of God are you willing to buy today? Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that while we were sinners, you died for us. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our minds that, Lord, you might take more of us and we might receive more of you. That we wouldn't be content with $3 or $33, but we'd say, Lord, here's my life. Use it. It is the purpose for which I exist to bring you glory. Thank you for this time. Amen.